Well, at any rate, we are fresh. We're ready to go. It's a new year. We have a new chapter. Uh, but we're actually uh, at the very last vision. We've had eight visions in Zechariah, right? And, uh, you know, I think of Isaiah 46.10. It says, God who is declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Well, that's what he's doing in Zechariah. And you remember that the people are uh, there to come back, rebuild uh, the, the wall, the city, the temple. Um, Zechariah is there to encourage them as he gives prophecy of what God has uh, planned and how he's going to do it. Um, you know, God has knowledge of all history, whether it's past and uh, present, future. He's the one that's working it out. He's the one that called it. He's the one that makes uh, makes his own purpose. And it will happen, right? It does happen. Uh, short course in Old Testament prophecy. This is real quick. Four categories. When you speak of prophecy, you speak of one thing, the, the, the destiny of the nation of Israel. You see that all through the Old Testament. You cannot wash that away. Number two, you see messianic prophecy. That's pro- prophecies about the Messiah, whether it be his, about His birth, uh, his life, his death, resurrection, and such. Uh, so there's two. One about Israel, one about uh, Messiah. You have last day prophecy. That's usually what people think of whenever they think of prophecy, but it's much more than just last days, but that's a big part of it. And then, of course, when you think of prophecy, you also have to think of judgment. And all of those we've seen in Zechariah by the visions, right? There have been seven visions so far through the first five chapters. We get into chapter 6, we get into the 8th and the last one. Uh, So we've seen God talking about Israel. We definitely see the Messiah in all of these visions, don't we? Um, We also see um, um, the end times uh, throughout all of these visions, especially coming forth in the last few chapters of Zechariah. It really explodes with that. And of course we have seen... Uh, in those visions, the destruction of God's enemies, the judgment. So we come to chapter 6, and uh, it's, a, it's a very fascinating vision. It helps us to see how God is going to judge the world. And, number two, set up the kingdom. So there's judgment. He has to judge before he sets that kingdom up. And so that's the two parts that we look at tonight. If you see your outline, you'll see point one, and that's condemnation of the enemies of God. And the second part is coronation of the king. And those two things we've already seen in these visions. They kind of keep repeating over and over. Um, just just real quick review. You can say, what are those visions? Well, in chapter 1, starting about verse 7, uh, we see that the vision of, is given to Zechariah. And you have the red horse. And actually also the sorrel horse and the white horse. Uh, you have the myrtle trees. And of course, they're... These horses are uh, symptomatic of patrolling the earth. Um, God uses them for judgment. But they're right there, just kind of sitting outside of Jerusalem there. Myrtle trees representing the, the people of Israel. And so he, he shows a promise that God will um, take care of His people. 
The second vision was found in chapter 1, and it started at verse 18. It says, Then I lifted up my eyes, and looked, and behold, there were four horns. So he talks about the four horns. What were they? Or the four craftsmen. Well, you think of the horns of Daniel, and of course you think of... Um, you think also you think of the empires that were made. God sent forth nations to judge other nations. God sent forth Babylon to judge Israel, and of course other nations. But also you had the Medes and the Persians, then you had the Greeks, then you had the Romans. And so there would be the four horns. Uh, in chapter 2 you get another vision. It says, Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and a measuring line in his hand. And he was measuring Jerusalem. And uh, so in, there that he has a plan not only to rebuild Jerusalem at that time, the time of Zechariah and the people that were living at that time, but there would be a, a new Jerusalem later in the future. Chapter 3, you get Joshua in uh, what we call it, the priest in the dirty clothes. And we titled it that. And of course, that's where you had the dirty clothes representing unrighteousness. Joshua is representing the people of Israel. And, uh, of course, God then gives him um, clean garments. And that represents what the priest is. And absolutely is a picture of the Messiah, isn't he? Because he is the great high priest. But Joshua, and Joshua is Yeshua. Uh, that, that's his name, Yahashua. Uh, in chapter 4, you got the fifth vision. And that was a tremendous one, the golden lampstand. You remember that one? And, uh, of course, you had the oil and it was continually feeding uh, this lampstand, and it was continually lit up. And, uh, of course, the light of the world is Christ, but the nation of Israel was supposed to be the light to the Gentiles. And they failed. But there will be a time when they, too, will do what God had originally planned for them. Uh, He's doing it now through the church. And we're like a city set on a hill, right? And the the oil would be representing the Holy Spirit. There's the light. Of course, we hold forth that. That that's five visions there. In chapter five, you get the flying scroll. All of these are very vivid in their imagery, aren't they? You know, golden lampstand. Here you have a flying scroll. Uh, then I lifted up my eyes and saw a flying scroll. And of course, the flying scroll is representing the Word of God. Word of God is dealing with um, also judgment because of the disobedience of Israel. And then also in that same chapter, 5, you get uh, starting in around verse 5, um, lift up your eyes, the angel says, and there's an ephah, um, like a bushel basket. It has a lead cover over it, and it's dealing with the wickedness that is there. And uh, the wickedness then is taken to the plain of Shinar, which is where Babylon would be. And that would be representing not only, you know, Babylon, the world system, really, but, you know, you think of the end times, Revelation 17, 18, there's an economic uh, Babylon and there's a religious Babylon. And that's the, you think of the world system, and uh, of course, whether it is literally in that place or whether it's the whole world system, God is going to judge it. Take off, you know, we think about that lead cover. It's lifted up and see the wickedness in that. And that gets us to where we're at now in the eighth vision. So let's have a word of prayer as we try to interpret uh, this last one. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you do. You have the plans, the plans of the ages. 
You are a God who brings great news, great news to people that need to hear your truth. And you've done it as you did it with Israel, and you gave them hope. And there still is a hope for that nation, just as there is hope for all the rest of the world. And it's through that person, the Messiah, as he is the key figure in all of Scripture, in every chapter, every book that we look at, it's focusing towards the Messiah. And so help us understand um, another vision that you gave to Zechariah for us to be able to learn better who you are, what your plan is. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. We move to this, uh, this sixth chapter, and uh, here we go again, same kind of thing. Now I lifted up my eyes, just like, you know, he's either, either asleep in this vision. As soon as one is over, it's just like, you know, it's, it's just overwhelming what he has seen. And now he lifts up his eyes again, he looks, and behold, four chariots. So this is the eighth vision. It's, it's uh, dealing with chariots. They were coming forth from between the two mountains. And the mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot, white horses. And with the fourth chariot, strong dappled horses. Then I spoke, said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my Lord? How many times have we heard that? This is Zechariah, and he would be just like us. Or we'd be just like him. What are these? What is it? What's going on? Then I spoke, said to the angel who's speaking with me, What are these, my Lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth, with one of which the black horse horses are going forth into the north country, and the white ones go forth after them, while the dappled ones go forth to the south country. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out to me, spoke to me, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, Take an offering from the exiles, from Heldai, Tobijah, Jedidiah, and you go to the same day and enter the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah, where they have arrived from Babylon. All right, we'll we'll, uh, we'll stop stop there. Um, I probably really should have stopped at about the end of verse eight. But the first part is dealing with condemnation. God uh, will judge the enemies of God. He's already said that many times. And he's saying to the people of Israel, he's saying to the people right there who were helping build uh, this Jerusalem back up, he's giving them great promises. That's the whole idea of Zechariah, isn't it? You know, as they come and build up this forlorn place. It's, it's nothing right now. But uh, condemnation of God's enemies, recurring theme all throughout the Bible, isn't it? God will judge the enemies. Go to Revelation 14. 6 and 7. And there's a lot in Zechariah that parallels uh, with Revelation. 14, 6 and 7. I saw another angel flying in mid heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment 
has come. Worship Him who made the heavens and the earth and sea springs of water. What I find fascinating there is here is where you have angels proclaiming the Gospel. You don't see that anywhere else, do you? It's right at the end times. This is a, a, a proclamation that's given. It's, it's the good news. It's the story of the Gospel. And of course, it's the everlasting Gospel. And he's saying God will punish sin, but He also will reward righteousness. So, if the angels are proclaiming the Gospel, do they get it now? Do they understand? Because of the, the earlier they were peering into this to figure out what is going on. Yeah, uh, and uh, so, you know, to a degree, I think what you have here is they're at least proclaiming that people need to hear that the there's judgment. there's good news, but also there's judgment to come. So basically, that's the idea of the the everlasting gospel. Really entails this judgment, salvation. Whether the how much of the depth of that, you know, like who knows? I think they will learn as they see, as we are part, you know, in the kingdom, and as we are serving God, and they'll be serving us, and and you know, they're messengers. So to what you know, King that sends out the messengers is to just whatever he's told them to say is what they are to say. So yeah, I guess yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, worthy of mention there because we know that. They long to look into the the gospel, don't they? They, yeah, they can't understand as they've never been uh, experienced grace like we have, you know, because they never sinned. These these angels, but so God rewards the righteous, but He will punish the sinful, and we know that, don't we? That's ultimate. That's really what Zechariah is saying here. Uh, but he, you know, he puts it forth in pictures that they'll understand. Because they were probably saying, why does God judge us who are His people? And, you know, you can think of, um, uh, what is it, um, in, whether it be Malachi, especially some of the, the prophet sections, they're wondering, why has God let this happen? And, uh, of course, uh, behind all of that is uh, God will take care of the world system. And see, uh, Israel has not been their own nation since the time before Babylon. They've always been underneath somebody, haven't they? But here they are now, back as their own nation. And that's what's so fascinating about, uh, I think, the, the time clock of God. Um, four chariots. That's uh, where we're at in Zechariah, right? The four chariots. And there's always numbers, it seems like, in some of these, you know, and of course, you go, okay, four. How many directions are there? North, south, east, and west. Of course, we have that in here. We have the four spirits. But as far as Israel is concerned, if you go, if you head west, what do you run into? The Mediterranean Sea. <coughs> run one out. If you head... Uh, East, you have the desert. So people haven't attacked from that area down through um, biblical history. Where did they attack from? The north, which would be the, you know, you think of the Chaldees, the, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, 
keep going further and you look uh, near the end times and uh, also you see in Ezekiel where if you keep on going north who do you have you have Russia who is siding with some of the the people of the Syrians and such uh, they were also attacked from the south and that would be of course first of all Egypt right they were underneath the Egyptians for uh, hundreds of years so that is what we're seeing here. These four chariots, they're coming forth between the two mountains. Okay, four chariots. You think of chariots, you think of war. These are war chariots. They're storm troopers. You know, that was the storm troopers of, a, of an ancient army at that time. And so that would be the vehicle that God would use for divine judgment. And of course, that was it. That was the top of the line. That was the, the tanks, you know. The chariots, that represented your, your power and, and uh, uh, your armies. So it's judgment is coming to the nations is what it's dealing with as he brings on some more detail. Um, you remember in chapter 1, you have horses there. And of course there it mentioned the red horses, white horses, and the dappled horses. Here you have four chariots um, just sitting... They were sitting outside of Jerusalem in chapter 1 of, of the horses. And it seems here those horses are transformed into the four war chariots um, and going in the direction they're going to be using here uh, as God has these vehicles of His judgment advancing to the final judgment. You have the four chariots coming forth between the two mountains. And the word the is a definite article. It's not any two kind of mountains or just some made up little picture here. It is the two mountains. The mountains were bronze mountains. Well, what are these? Um, well, when you think of mountains, what do you think of? Mountains, you think of towering strength, right? And that's usually how they were referred to back in the... Uh, the, uh, the ancient biblical times and people outside the Bible would see the mountains. They, they, they stood for power and strength. What does bronze speak of? Well, Revelation 1. You get the picture of Christ there. Remember that uh, awesome picture of the Son of Man. John is revealed many things in that book that he wrote, but he sees the Son of Man, and in verse uh, 15, his feet were like a burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So there, you know, in 15, his feet are like a burnished bronze. And you think of uh, bronze uh, throughout Scripture, throughout the understanding of the people at that time. It was a symbol of judgment. So you have mountains speaking of strength. And then you have this, uh, the, the bronze. It's a bronze mountain. You're thinking of, of judgment here. Jesus is a judging Christ here that's found in Revelation 1. Uh, quite obvious that um, the picture of Christ there is different than a lot of people would take 
the little loving, meek lamb, as you see in that section. His feet are like burnished bronze. That's to stamp out um, any wickedness, any sin. Uh, stamping out judgment, that's what he's doing. It's a symbol of judgment. Strength, power, judgment, war chariots. They're coming, firing down this valley. Between the two mountains, you have a valley. That's the idea. Firing down through there are these chariots now. And so he's speaking of rapid judgment. You know, I can think of um, you know, the, you know, some movies that they have whenever you have, the, like the Lord of the Rings. And you think whenever they'd have the war, wars that they would have, and uh, how you know, the enemy would come in with speed and power. And this is God with his war chariots. Um, it's kind of interesting. In Zechariah 14, I think it's given a really good picture there. When Jesus comes back, where does He come back to? The Mount of Olives. And it says in verse 3, the Lord will go forth, fight against those nations. That's when He fights on a day of battle. In that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east, and in the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a large valley. Are we getting it here? Zechariah gives us a little more picture here later on here, doesn't he? So that half of the mountain will move toward the north, the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of my mountains will reach to Hazel. Anyway, um, that's definitely when Christ comes back. He'll battle all the foes of of Israel and Jerusalem. Um, what you have there is the Mount of Olives. You say, the two mountains, right? Uh, what's on the other side? The Mount of Olives is east of Jerusalem, right? There's a little valley that goes in between them, and then you go on up, and you've seen the pictures of um, the walls of Jerusalem, and then, of course, the... Uh, uh, what is that uh, of the uh, the Muslims, um, their their temple? You know, Dome of the, Rock. the Dome of the Rock, and of course has the gold top and such. But uh, that would be uh, Mount Zion in that area. Mount Zion, Mount of Olives. It's then you have that ravine. Um, the chariots, God's uh, chariots of God, are plummeting down this valley. And you know what that valley is called? It's the Kidron Valley. It is actually a valley. Two mountains, valley, Jerusalem, when he comes back. This is the center of the tension. You're talking about the war of wars. I can remember, oh, I love it a lot of times. You would have to oh, yeah. bring that in there all the time. Always talk about that. Yeah, we're starting to have some visuals on this. Yeah. But you guys have probably seen it many times, where you have Jerusalem and you know, the Mount of Olives yeah. and the Kidron Valley, and that's, that's the idea. Go to Joel 3 2. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Joel, a lot of end times here, nations being judged and such. In verse 2, I will gather, uh, well, let's pick up verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations, bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
then I'll enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. So there is the judgment on the nations, the valley of Jehoshaphat, or uh, and the name means Yahweh judges. Jehoshaphat. God judges. Yahweh judges. There's, there's where, where it is right there. So, you know, it's likely that Zechariah is literally seeing these war chariots in his vision just plummeting right on down the Kidron Valley. This is representing uh, the split that we see in Zechariah 14 when Christ comes back at the Mount of Olives. And, of course, you have that, that division there and uh, then creates this huge valley between the mounts, mounts and mountains there. Valley of Jehoshaphat, like that. God, God judges. Now you have the color of the horses. We'll go back to Zechariah. Makes sense so far? What do we have here? Two mountains. Mountains were bronze mountains, right? <laughs> yeah. I need this, pictures. Yeah, really. Now don't get on that, please. Oh, I <laughs> really. Could you illustrate this for us, please? Yeah. It's a good thing we're going to Ezekiel. This would Zachary be an awesome war. <laughs> this would be a quite the movie, wouldn't it? Okay, wouldn't it? Yeah, Mondor, I've seen it. And they wouldn't have to add anything or just you know, try to make it up to the fullest amount of what's going they'd on. They'd be good if they could do that. Right. With all the graphics. This is and visual, isn't it? Wow. The imagery here, and that's really what Zechariah is getting across. In verse two, with the first chariot were red horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot, white horses. And with the fourth chariot among um, them is uh, strong dappled horses. So what's up with the black horses there? Okay, we'll have to take a look. The red horses we've seen in in Zechariah (laughs) 1, right? Right? The first chariot, that's pulled by red horses. In Revelation 6-4, you have red horses. In both cases, red horses always speak of uh, war, bloodshed. Red, easy to understand, right? Uh, Revelation, we, we've looked at that before. The black horse in Revelation 6 stands for famine. Okay? Um, that's, and that's, black horses in Revelation 6? Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. If we want to, turn there. I know I'm going through this rather rapidly. <laughs> Just hold on. I know you'd like to get through this tonight, but that's, you know. Um, Well, we'll we'll make sure you get understanding. In in verse 2, you have the white horse, okay? Of course, this, the white horse here is not Christ. That would be representing, you know, like the Antichrist. Uh, But there, uh, you have a white horse. It's interesting, you know, the four horsemen there of Revelation. Red horse, um, it's talking about taking peace from the earth. You're talking war. They're slaying one another. Um, in verse 5, uh, Look, behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And the reason we you have a quart of wheat for denarius, three quarts of barley for denarius, do not damage the oil and the wine. There he's talking about you know food is going to be so expensive. Somebody said like a loaf of bread could be like like a week's worth of wages, or it could be a month 
work worth of wages. Oh, no, I'm in trouble there because you got wheat and barley, and this is like, I'll be gone by this. I'll be gone by this. Or fish or something. Yeah. We're talking food. We're talking staples. There, it's going to be tremendously high. That's because there's going to be a famine. When you have a famine, people are starving. It's hard to get food. Simplest of right. And then you have an ashen horse in verse 7. It's the fourth seal. and um, uh, That's death, Hades, killing with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. So there you have God using that um, from the same kind of way as He brings judgment that way. So you have... Um, it, when you th- when you speak a white horse, what do you think of? Ultimately, when Christ comes back, he's on a white horse. That speaks a uh, a victory, a conquering, the conqueror, right? When you speak of a dappled horse, um, you know that's my favorite one. There's a pale horse in, in Revelation we read, and it's, uh, it's in reference to death, uh, hell, right? That kind of thing. So all of them, they do their work together. Uh, you have four war chariots. They're pulled by four sets of horses. And the horses speak of bloodshed, speak of war, they speak of famine, speak of victory and triumph ultimately. And uh, so that's, that's the idea of what's happening here in Zechariah when you see these chariots going through that valley as Zechariah 14 talks about you know, it's going to be a massacre. Do you think he really wants to see this? Do you think he really wants to see this? Oh yeah, after he's seen all these other visions and now he, he sees this. I mean, you know, when we give the gospel to somebody, you know, we're talking about the everlasting gospel and the angel gave, what do we have to tell them? There's judgment coming. Here's bad news. But here's the hope. So here's the good news. And so that's what he keeps doing in Zechariah through all these visions. Even the judgment is the good news. Huh? Even the judgment is the good news. It is. That's right. There was no judgment. If he didn't judge it, then it would be around for eternity. We don't want that, do we? So it has to be done, even though you know we we hate to think about that, but yet it's part of the gospel. And definitely, is we cannot forget about that. So a lot of people like to eliminate the idea of hell and judgment and that kind of thing and just tell about a loving, caring, forgiving God and just believe in Him. But they have to hear the whole everlasting gospel. But anyway, um, it's four spirits of heaven um, is where we're at. I spoke, said to the angel who's speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? The angel replied to me, these are the four spirits of heaven. He's talking about the four chariots. Now he says they're the four spirits of heaven. It's the same thing. Um, they're four angels. They're, they're divine agents of God uh, for judgment. They're coming out of heaven. They're carrying out God's judgment plan that He has. Um, look in Daniel 7.10. Quite a prophetic book, isn't it? So is is Daniel. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Coming out from before him. Just like 
what you have these angels um, going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth. They've been in the very presence of God. And thousands upon thousands were attending Him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before Him. The court sat. The books were open. <laughs> myriads of angels. What's, what's that mean? Whole bunch. More than <laughs> <laughs> right? Huge amount. And that would be what? Like a million? Thousand thousands. And what and what that meant in their language is we're talking about a lot. We're talking millions of angels. You know, uh Mirius, her name. So that's something to look forward to. Can you imagine that? Uh, God uses angels to to bring forth the judgment. Look at Luke one nineteen. By the way, ten thousand times ten thousand is a hundred million. A hundred million. There we go. Thank you. I do. It's more than a million. I'm the. <laughs> That is a lot. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. And can you imagine seeing that? Eddie? No, I can't. Hmm. Luke 1, did I say 19? I don't know. The angel answered and said to him, this is Zacharias in the book of Luke who's going to have John the Baptist. That's his son, right? He's visited by the angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Right? course, he brings the good news about this. But he stands in the presence. These are angels that were in the presence of God, in, as it said in Zechariah. It's kind of what we're hitting forth there. Anyway, um, how about the black horses and the white horses? Where are they going? Well, Zechariah tells us they're going to go north. They're going to judge heading up north uh, with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country and the white ones go forth after them. So you have the black horses and the white horses. You have black horses speaking of the big judgment and death and war, right? And you have the white ones going there. That means there's going to be victory, conquering there. So you have the two horses going north while the dappled ones go forth to the south country, which would be heading on down south of Jerusalem. Of course, you suddenly will be running into Egypt. So what? that's where you know they were What's would be in a attack. What are they going to do? What are they? What do they represent? Yeah, what are, are they going to do? What are those dappled ones going to do? <laughs> the pukey is all I know. <laughs> yeah, um... I'm just trying to think. Um, All of them strong. Six. Well, I know that as they go there, and that's that could be spotted. Spotted. There was another one, like in um, chapter one, Sorrel. dappled or the sorrel, sorrel horses, which. I've looked it up. You know, there's been different explanations on that. 
Some say it's a mixture between the, those horses, or it could have been even spotted. Here, it's, you know, they could be speckled-type horses, dappled. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, I, I don't know. I really don't. So I, I've looked in different... they're patrolling the earth. What are they doing? They're patrolling, or they're... Uh, well, true? here, they're making, they're making their judgment. They're, it's just like uh, uh, when you have when you're in war, you have like uh, like the Germans would be patrolling over uh, let's say Eastern Europe and and such right and, and in other areas that means they're taking over that land. Oh, okay. They're they're they've been watching over it. Now they're they're going to uh, attack it. And you know Israel had mistreated Israel. I mean Egypt had mistreated Israel. Anybody that had mistreated Israel, God will judge. That's what he's telling these people who have been judged by Babylon. And now they've come back to their land. Um, and so I, I told you before, you have the Mediterranean Sea on the west, you have the Arabian Desert on the east, and nobody comes from there because if you go through a desert, how can you take an army through a desert that lasts for weeks if you're coming from that area? You know, you have to have water and such, so... Of course, if you're in the water, then you need land to operate. But that's why you have the north and the south, as far as Israel is concerned. Uh, black, famine and death, white, victory and conquest, uh, dappled horses, you're having victory there too, they're judging in the south. Um, you don't really have any red horses going anywhere. Why not the red horses, right? Well, the best we can say... There was a white and black. Yeah. Oh, okay. Most likely, the red horses are the last ones. They're kind of held in check until the black and the white, the dappled gray, somebody calls them that color, have done their work. And then comes in the terrible bloodshed that follows. So as they're patrolling and as they move into the land and overtake it, then eventually you have... The, this bloodshed that just, uh, what is it? In Revelation it says blood up to the bridles of the horses, right? Uh, like a, a bath of blood. Um, but finally they all go out, and you have in the middle of verse 7, go from here, walk to and fro, right? When, when the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. Go. So is Start this, taking is, care is of it. This, these, these horses, before the red horses take off, is this like a, a last chance for the world? Oh, they're, they're just I mean, taking to over. To see I... the judgment and to see the, the death and to see, you know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people going to be watching all this. Well, yeah, in the middle of that, you know, who knows how, you know, where God maybe uh, still is offering the grace. And you, and you have, in Revelation, you have that angel that's proclaiming the good news, maybe just before that they start their well, I'm thinking of Revelation bloodshed. where, you know, <laughs> these people are all seeing all this and then even at the very end there are some that are still, you know, but, but a lot of people had to change their mind watching all that. But, but then so they that's live, what I'm wondering if, if but they all live this through. is I like could still call out, you know, you have the 144,000 mm -hmm. who are like Apostle Paul's you know, just screaming out the gospel, and of course, um, of course, the two witnesses started that. And of course, that's that would be the people of Israel 
while you know there's still people of the Gentiles, and, and of course they're being slain for their um, standing up for the gospel. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of them are, are dying in the midst of all of this as it goes on. Of course, there have been all the different steps of the tribulation, I mean, and this God is right at like, the very if God end. Wasn't going to offer, you know, put this out as a, you know, check this out, last chance. This is it, guys. Yeah. He blowed it up. Yeah, yeah, he could have just, you know, yeah, it could have been just over mm-hmm. instead of going through all of this. You know, to get the last ones. But he's going to show how righteous he is. It's to all those, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Whatever it is, we know that going all these different directions, of course, it's going to be from the four corners of the earth that he's going to call his people all back together. But God's final judgment will cover the world. It's not just around just Israel. It'll go everywhere. And of course, you look at Matthew 25. I don't have enough time to read all of that section, but that's judgment upon the Gentiles. Anybody who had helped the people of God as far as Israel is concerned, then He has mercy upon too. Uh, I like verse 8. He cried out to me and spoke to me saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath. This is God speaking. In the land of the north. You, you just go north. You don't have you don't have God's people there as a whole. You know there can be individuals, but as a whole, those nations are going to be judged drastically. And what we're talking, uh, I think, uh, the you know you think of Assyria and Babylon, and later on in history, uh, you know the Romans went on up in, in that area, spreads on out. But this is about the wrath of God being satisfied in His judgment. He's appeased in that way. He says, you have appeased my wrath as He sent them out to go judge. God has to be uh, satisfied. He's particularly satisfied because He is judging these nations. And uh, these are the worst of all enemies. And of course, Babylon would, would have come from that area. You kind of think of the north and northeast. From there. Babylon eventually, in the final form, whether it be a, a literal Babylon or spiritual economic Babylon that we were talking about last time we were here. Um, that's the world system in all of its evil. So when you think of Tower of Babel, Babylon, that can represent all of the evil of mankind, whether it be politically, economically, and religiously. Right? Of course, Antichrist has all that covered. And so it's really pointing toward that final form. So God is reaching all the way out and He's saying, here's what's going to happen. Now He brings it down into detail. You know, very uh, pictorial. And He is a God of detail too, Penny. So He's going to answer all that arrogance. Yeah. So he's blowing it up. He's like, nope, I'm going to answer all that arrogance. So now, okay, that that's speaking of judgment, right? That's speaking of God is condemning His enemies. His enemies do not want Him. He judges them. And they're toast. You see a lot of it in Zechariah 14. What happens there? Even more detail. Okay, the second part is about the coronation of the king. So when you have judgment, you also have reward and victory. Conquest. So he starts off in verse 9, the word of the Lord also came to me. And this is not a vision now. 
we have now completed the eight visions. Just to give us a picture of what God is going to do and carry him out all the way to the very, what we can say, the, the end quote. This is not a vision. It's now the word of the Lord okay. comes to him like he does most prophets. A lot of them had visions too. He speak to them. He would speak to them in many different ways. Hebrews one says, but the word of the Lord is now direct revelation. Um, and and verse ten says, take an offering from the exiles, Heldai, Tabijah, Jediah. Go the same day. Enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. They have arrived from Babylon. You know who these people are. They're a caravan of people, Jewish people. They come back to Israel from Babylon. They're like latecomers. You've had all the other people come. Now you have these come. And they're not coming empty-handed. Because as you read on now, you know, they've arrived from Babylon, right? He says, take silver and gold, make an ornate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, there's Joshua again, brings him in, and it says now, take this and make an ornament or a crown that's made of silver and gold. The people from Babylon bring what? Silver, gold. Do you remember Babylon carted off the gold, the silver from Jerusalem? Remember that? Here they are bringing this. God was keeping tabs on that. <laughs> you can hang on to it for a while, but that's coming back. They are going to make a contribution to the people that are rebuilding the temple. And these names are interesting. Heldai means the Lord's world. The Lord's world. Tobijah means God is good. Jediah means God knows. And Josiah means the Lord supports every one of those. So they all had God-honoring names and they spoke of the character of God, didn't it? So silver and gold crown, um, you, what you're really having here when you have Joshua is really a picture of Christ. Joshua, Yahashua, but there really was a, the priest at that time who was Joshua. He literally existed. So you've heard a picture of Christ. This is the coronation of the great high priest. Uh, you have to look in Hebrews 7.1 and there it's speaking of Melchizedek. You're having a priest with a crown on him. Get the picture? Hebrews 7.1 For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from him the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Uh, we know that Christ is the king, but he's a priest. But a king can't come from a priestly line. He has to come from the kingly line of Judah, right? David. But and a, a priest can't come from a kingly line. He has to come from which which tribe? Levi, Levi. Levites. But Christ can come from the line of Melchizedek, which is king and priest. And so what you have here, as you go uh, further here, it says in verse 12, they said to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold a man whose name is Branch, and we've seen that before, 
branch appeared in chapter 3, verse 8. And that was the chapter about Joshua the high priest. Verse 8, now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed they are men who are assembled, for behold, I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone of seven eyes. Anyway, he says the branch. We know who the branch is, don't we? The branch comes from, it's like there's a stump. I think of Jesse, and of course, uh, you think of David, right? Um, and he is the one that comes from that, even though that that line was cut, he still comes from that uh, realm of David. And so he's the branch, so he is brought forth here in Zechariah. He'll branch out from where he is. He will build the temple of the Lord. We're taking all the way up. Joshua's there. He is the high priest, but it's pointing to a priest king who's going to be coronated who will build the millennial temple. He will branch out from where he is. He will build the temple of the Lord. Verse 13. Yes, it is he, capital H, who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne throne. <laughs> Priests, whenever they were ministering, never sat down. They didn't have thrones. They always served the Lord. They were always on their feet. They were always standing and walking and doing their sacrificial duties. It was never done. This is a priest on the throne. That's right. The work wasn't completed. Christ completed it. And so it says, thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. Priest, king, right? What, what are the offices of Christ? Prophet, priest, and king. Here he marries the two, the priest and the king together. This is beautiful. And so he says in 14, now the crown will become a reminder in the temple of the Lord to Helim, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hin, the son of Zephaniah. So, you know, this is a literal sense, but look what's happening in the future. It's, it's not just at that time, but prophecy does that. It gives truth to it in that it's fulfilled at that time, but much further to the ultimate. Hey, it's tremendous. What a picture we've been given of judgment, now the coronation of the priest-king. Um, and, and there's the crown. There was a crown, and I have to take this in a literal sense, that there was this crown made of silver and gold, and it was a reminder in that temple of what was to come. Isn't that beautiful? And then we see in 15, those who are far off will come and build the temple of the Lord. Who are the far-off ones? Gentiles. Gentiles. They will help build this millennial temple where Christ is going to have it built. And you will see in Ezekiel, this place is like a mile square, this building. 
set up on a big high plane. The land is shifted. It's put up and much bigger than any other building that's ever been in the worship of God. And Christ is going to, you know, when it says He's going to build that, He's going to have Jews and Gentiles alike getting this thing um, completed, finished. And that's what it looks like. So as they're building the temple there, which is nothing, it's just like a little building, but that's where they were going to worship. Later on, it, it was added to and built bigger. And of course, you think of, uh, it wasn't like Solomon's temple at first, was it? He can imagine, you know, just a building like this. And, you know, but boy, it wasn't like the heyday, you know. But um, So they did that, but later on, there you go, the millennial temple, Christ will. It'll be the house that Christ built. And it says at the end of 15, Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And it will take place if you completely obey the Lord your God. And so, you have a picture of Christ, the coronation. He will come when, I, I guess, you know, you would expect Him to come from as He comes from the heavens. And He'll sprout forth from the fallen trunk of David. You know, there hasn't been a king, has there, since Babylon. That uh, would be 2,500 years ago if he were to come back now. Um, so there's a coming day. Boy, if you could read Ezekiel 40 through 48, it talks about the details of this temple. Priest on the throne. Psalm 110, verse 4. What do we have here? We have a messianic prophecy in Psalms. It says the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now he starts off Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, David saying this, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand. Speaking speak about sitting on the throne. A king with a scepter in verse 2. And then in verse 4, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not the Levites, because he wasn't from that family. That's what allows him to do that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And, and we're shutting this down here. But this is so fascinating what's going on here. Zechariah is telling, we already know about this, don't we? But the people need to know that. They need to be encouraged. And it says, uh, at right at the end of verse 3, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Then verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Where'd that came out of? come out of? Was that out of Psalm 110, verse 1? <laughs> anyway, he says he's better than the angels. Which angels has he ever said? Sit down? That's talking about majesty, kingliness. At the same time, bring, being the priest. He's the go-between between us and God. He is the bridge. He's also the majesty, the very king. He is the Messiah. The same one who rules with the role of king is the same one who intercedes. That's what the high priest does. He intercedes. So he makes the worship 
of the one true God and the measure of every man, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So they, so they had this uh, uh, crown. It was a reminder that the King is coming. Those far off, are Isaiah 2, 2 speaks of the Gentiles. Micah 4, 1, you can speak of uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Those who were far off, those who were um, forlorn, those who were without hope. Who's that? It's us. So this is not only written for the Jews, it's written for us. God's Word comes to pass. So it was prophesied. It happened immediately to them, but it was much bigger than that. The rest of the story is much bigger. They just got a preview, didn't they? You want to see the whole deal? Anyway, that is the eighth vision. What do you guys think of those visions? Pretty incredible. It tells about history, doesn't it? All the way to when Christ comes back and on even further than that, the kingdom and then the eternal state. Hey, glad you guys could come out. Exciting chapter. It gets better. It gets better as you read through Zechariah. It's incredible. That book is really amazing. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening and that we've been able to get into Your Word and see some very... Uh, important things as far as the way you lined out things for the rest of this uh, time that man has on earth and at the same time we we see the messiah in his victory his triumph as he will judge the enemies and then he will reward the righteous thank you for revealing that to us in jesus name amen